I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Every now and then on Purpose 360, I invite a client to have a fairly deep conversation, deeper than I could with a guest that I had just met. And today's conversation is not going to disappoint. It's with Whirlpool. And Whirlpool, as you know, delivers incredible kitchen and laundry appliances, brands from Whirlpool to Maytag to KitchenAid. That's some of their U.S. um, brands. And then some of the global ones, Brass Temp, Console, and Hot Point. They're an over $22 billion company with approximately 69,000 employees. This 111-year-old company um, has an amazing culture that keeps their employees for not just a decade, but two decades or more, and sometimes for their entire career. We're going to explore with Pam Klein, their newly appointed Senior Vice President of Corporate Relations and Sustainability, and Deb O'Connor, their Director of Global Corporate Reputation and Community Relations, to really talk about how they live and embed their environmental commitments, their societal commitments, their culture impacts of their work for decades. What's fascinating about this conversation, you're going to learn so many insights. Now, Pam has been there her, her entire career. She's an engineer by background. And the wonderful thing about Pam that we discovered is that when she was a young girl, she wanted to be, her dream was to be the second baseman for the Detroit Tigers. And she was in Little League and you know her parents said, you know, you can do anything. And that was part of what built her character. But ultimately, eh, she didn't go into, into baseball, but she went into engineering. And having an engineer who's also managed product development, global innovation, people management globally in the sustainability role brings a magic to integration. And we're going to find out more about that. Deb O'Connor has been with the company for over 28 years, and she stayed because she's always had new challenges presented to her by the company. And she will give many insights into the amazing programmatic work that she is doing. And candidly, we're thrilled to have them as a client because they're collaborative, they're caring, they're straightforward, and that creates the most amazing outcomes. So join me for this conversation with Pam and Deb about Whirlpool and how they truly have Push the envelope in wonderful ways, whether it's product innovation with sustainability, the environment, whether it's working with communities, whether it's developing their DEI strategy. So join me. Pam and Deb, we'd just love to learn a bit about your background, and then we're going to get into the exciting way that you're integrated into your functions together at the company. So why don't we start with Pam? Thank you, Carol. Appreciate it very much. Uh, as you mentioned, my role is Senior Vice President, Corporate Relations and, and Sustainability here at Whirlpool Corporation. 
I have been at Whirlpool my entire career, uh, over 25 years, and I've had the opportunity to serve in a, a variety of roles across engineering, product development, global innovation, and marketing. So a tremendous opportunity uh, to gain, gain experiences here and, and I think to make a difference as well. Uh, and that's all culminated into the current role that I'm in today. And congratulations on the on the new role. You know, um, we have a lot. I get a lot of questions from young people. How do I get a role in sustainability? And we're going to dive deeply in a minute into Pam's background because it is so extraordinary. And it, again, it also it's, it's a testament to the to the career trajectory paths at Whirlpool. And I always say to anyone, you never have to leave a company if you're always learning. And that's what happens at Whirlpool. So. Deb, you've been there quite a while, too. Yep, I have been here for 18 years, and I started my career in the communications and public relations section for KitchenAid and Jenner brands. So that's where I learned to love appliances, I'll say that. And um, I have done the, I've been doing corporate reputation and community relations for almost 10 years. My background prior to Whirlpool is nonprofit organizations, so I've I've been on both sides of the um, of the relationship. So um, I I feel like I have lessons learned from both sides. And I think that's really important for anyone who truly wants to have an authentic and long term career in the field of purpose, CSR, ESG. It's having a multifaceted experience set because you're really bringing knowledge and empathy and, and connection making to all of those that you're working with. Pam, I, you know, you have a very interesting uh, dream as a child, as a child. And I was amazed to read this in terms of your bio that you were you wanted to be what a second baseman at the Detroit Tigers. And you were following that career as a little leaguer. So can you talk a little bit about that dream, but what that dream taught you that you have used as that perfectly beautiful, you know, golden thread throughout your career? Yeah, like many kids, uh, I love sports. I love baseball and uh, played Little League Baseball. And I was pretty determined to be the second baseman for the Detroit Tigers, which would have made me the first female Major League Baseball player. That didn't happen, obviously, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, but but what you're referring to is is a very important life lesson that I had. So played baseball till I was about twelve or thirteen. Um, finally, there was a softball league in my town, so I could shift from being that only girl on the team and one of two or three girls in the league at a time to to playing with a you know a sport with other females. But what I look back on that experience is, and really appreciate is my parents never told me I couldn't do that. They never said, no, you can't play baseball. Those boys are too rough and you can't handle it. Instead, they were in the backyard practicing with me and teaching me <laughs> right. how to, you know, pitch, uh, hit and, and run and throw and that sort of thing. And, and my dad even helped, you know, was assistant coach for, for the team, uh, for a period of time. They knew I wasn't going to be the second baseman for the Detroit Tigers. That was going to take care of itself, but they never told me I couldn't. They instead enforced, you know, work hard, practice, keep up with, with everyone, you know, else out there. But what I appreciate the most, especially then as I went into engineering and, you know, ended up in the business world and started to learn that others had been told they couldn't do something. I really value and appreciate 
that my parents instead enforced, you know, reinforced the principles of work hard and, and you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. They never inflated my ego or made me believe um, magical things were going to happen. It was always about the principles of hard work, put the effort into it, and you can achieve whatever you want. There was never any reference to gender or any other barriers that were out there. And I think I was incredibly fortunate to to have that support, uh, but also the realism that you got to work uh, in order to accomplish anything. So talk about when you went to engineering school, because I bet there weren't a lot of women in your class either. No, it was about 20, 25 percent females uh, in the population in general. But again, I part of it because I kind of grew up hanging out with, with males as well as females between the different sports. Um, but also, I you know, I attended at the time to be a doctor and my dad wisely told me I should probably focus on a degree that I can use after four years because what if I don't want to go to medical school? Um, I had attended, you know, a couple of summer youth programs around engineering and, and decided with with my capabilities in math and science and just the broad base that engineering gives you and, you know, teaching critical thinking and problem solving skills, that that would be a great place to start. So went to Michigan Technological University for undergrad, studied engineering. And, you know, I wouldn't be halfway through a semester and look around and realize I was the only female in my class. That was just normal. But my friends who are going there, the other, you know, females that are my my lifelong friends to this day, they were going through the same thing. Like it was just our normal. And you really didn't think about it or focus on it. But then, you know, you found your common ground in those people outside of class uh, to hang out with. Being in a, a classroom full of males didn't intimidate me in any way. And I think in many ways helped reinforce me for the work world, you know, as I entered that. And I'm curious from both of you, when you got your first job at Whirlpool, can you remember back to, you know, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, oh, you know, I'll be here for a few years and then I'll go do something else. And so, you know, Deb, that's 18 years ago. You know, what did you think about getting that job? Like, wow, it's Whirlpool and what am I going to do? I was so excited and so intimidated. I thought, <laughs> oh, this is where all the smart people are. And how could I, you know, how could I contribute? Uh, but honestly, I think you said it early on that, if you keep learning and you keep doing different things, you can keep going. And and I have done that. I think every few years things change. And I mean, even in the world changes. So that so if you do the same thing, you're still kind of doing the same thing. It's something different, you know. In order to uh, address all the issues going on as as life goes on, so it's it's changed quite a bit all the time. People change that you work with. Uh, so I, you know, I just think that the people that I work with are amazing. And and that's really kept me here, I think. And Pam, what was it like when you got that job? First of all, I think Deb summed a lot of it up really, really well. So that makes me smile to hear her say those things. When I got my first job, you know, right out of undergrad, I hired into a rotational program for engineers and it was a phenomenal program. Um, You did two six month rotations as an engineer Then we went back to the University of Michigan full-time for a master's degree in engineering along with our thesis project and got paid our salary. So school was paid Mm -hmm. for, we got paid our salary. Like I was on cloud nine when I got this job and this job offer. And I remember 
my colleagues at school, my classmates saying, no, you misunderstood. It can't be that good. <laughs> but it is. So my hard work paid okay. off um, and, okay. and it was worth it. I really loved the people that I met. I remember after I interviewed even with the individual who ran this program, I said, hey, if I don't get into that program, I would still like a job here. So let me know if, if that's an option because I just really liked the company culture, the values that I saw and the opportunity you know, coming out of college, you don't think home appliances are the most um, romantic thing ever. But I saw that it was a, a the possibility to impact people's lives every day. So all of a sudden, my grandmother had input for me on, you know, her appliances. And like, it was a very common ground to talk to people about how they impacted their lives every day. And one thing I appreciated about Whirlpool was the scope that we got. To, to manage within the engineering space and the the amount of responsibility that I had. And so people ask me, you know, why have you stayed at Whirlpool for 29 years now? I've never had a need or a reason to leave. I keep getting put in these incredible assignments. I keep, you know, being able to have an impact and to learn and learn and learn. And it's been, you know, such a, a tremendous experience for me. And just to reiterate, Pam has had these amazing roles. She's been a product manager. She's been a global innovation manager. She's managed teams. Where, where, and now head of sustainability, as well as corporate relations, and as well as community impact and such. So it's an amazingly next step. But where were you based when you went overseas? I was based uh, at our European headquarters in, um, it was Camario, Italy at the time. So just north of Milan, kind of halfway between Milan and Switzerland. So it's a pretty nice place to be. Oh, that's that's great. So let's talk about Whirlpool's historic engagement in sustainability. Because for those listening, I know that they're going to go, well, these are great appliances. I mean, you know, they are great, you know, because I know the company wants to be, you know, the best kitchen and laundry company improving life at home. Can you talk about how the company approach sustainability over decades because people don't know that. Sure, absolutely. And this is something we're very proud of. And we, we're Midwestern, so we have some humble roots in it. And I think we, we went about this quietly, much like we do many things. But, you know, Whirlpool will turn 111 years old on November 11th this year. So it's a significant anniversary for us. And, you know, Fortune 500 or Fortune 200 companies, I think, have an average lifespan of about 14 years right now. So we're proud of our history. That's taken a lot of reinvention and it's taken a lot of, you know, foresight from our, our previous leaders and our CEOs to think about what's next and how do we sustain ourselves as a company uh, in this space. And, you know, all the way back in 1969, our CEO at the time, Elisha Gray, said in a letter to his shareholders, we cannot separate our business from the communities in which we operate and hope to grow and prosper. And so in the, in 1970, he uh, established uh, the Office of Environment for Whirlpool Corporation. But as you hear in his statement, He's already combining the environmental aspect of what we do with our facilities and ultimately how our products treat the environment with the communities in which we work and serve. And how do we make sure we take care of our communities? And, you know, Whirlpool Corporation was the first company to offer paid vacation to its employees. This goes way back in time uh, to our founders. And so we have all these examples where we've just done the right thing for our employees. 
kind of before it was in vogue, if you will. And even, <laughs> right. even thinking about sustainability from the aspect of what we do and what we produce, what we produce and how we produce them impacts where we work, where we live, our employees, and ultimately the environment. And we've got to make sure that, that we're positively supporting all of those elements. And Deb, I'd love for you to talk about how you evolved into your um, corporate relations, um, reputation, community relations role. Just talk a little bit about how it's named because it's got a, a signature name and how it ties up to the vision of the company. In our organization, We've always done amazing things with the community. Uh, as as Pam mentioned, we're a very humble company. We're in a small town and we have these Midwestern roots and we don't like to brag about ourselves. But, you know, the world has changed so much and people want to know what are what are companies doing for their employees? What are companies doing for society? And so we really needed to think about that. And, and it wasn't that we needed to change what we were doing. We just needed to change what we were talking how we were talking <laughs> about it. And so we did a lot of research working with your organization. You know, we did, we did stakeholder um, surveys. We did employee surveys, uh, talked to philanthropy experts, and then we came up with how and home. And that's our approach for social responsibility. So house is the four walls around you. It's uh, making sure that people have that place where they can feel comfortable and nurtured and, and really a place where families can make healthy choices. And with that, that's a lot of our work that we do with Habitat for Humanity. And then home, home is where we live. It's our community. And we want to help enable thriving communities. And we do that through education and uh, neighborhood revitalization programs. And with that, it's our work with United Way, our work with Boys and Girls Club all across the U.S. with our, our Maytag brand. Uh, it's our work in Brazil with Consulado do Mujer, where we um, support young entrepreneur women and help them get their businesses started. So a lot of different programs so that locally we can uh, do the right thing, what's right for that local area, but we still roll it all up into the messaging of house and home. And so we did, we rolled this out maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and hopefully in a few years, you know, whirlpools, social responsibility will be house and home. People will, will connect those two. And because you have a long-term view it's great because um, you have never said we're doing this for the publicity ever. You have always said, and this is a really key point for um, our listeners, that you you get the actions, you do the work, you say and you do. And then, especially with social media, with your employees, they want to talk about it. With with your recipients, they want to talk about it. And that is much, much more powerful and authentic than going out and, and pounding on your chest. And I know that yeah, very Midwest companies, because we see this a lot, they're very humble. And yes, you do have permission to talk about it, but there are many different ways to do it. So I want to now just do a little bit of a shift to there's a lot of discussion about net zero, Pam. And, you know, the companies, it's almost become like, oh, you know, you're at a cocktail party. Well, what's your net zero strategy? But I know that, again, because you're very 
um, authentic about how you approach things. Um, can you talk, Pam, about how you're balancing the environmental side of your, your production, your supply chain and such, and the needs of your customers through your products? And so net zero, but also building in sustainability to your products. Yeah, Carol, we need to get you to some different cocktail parties if you're talking about it. <laughs> I mean, net zero targets are incredibly important, but that's the one place you shouldn't be talking about them. But we, great we do take them very seriously here and, and we've had longstanding goals out there. Um, so, you know, we have made a commitment to reach net zero emissions in our plants and operations by 2030. And this is building on already a 60% reduction in emissions on, on all scopes since 2005. So we're well on our way. Um, we'll be net zero landfill out of all our factories here this month officially. Um, Congrats. That's yeah. Great. So a lot of great things happening around how we produce. But as you mentioned, it's, it's equally important what we produce and, and the impact that has on the environment. And in many areas, we've, we've led the way. We've either been ahead or certainly always meeting regulations. Uh, if you think about the products we have in market now versus when I started, you know, a, a washing machine uses about 12 to 14 gallons of water. Traditional um, top-loading washers used to use 42 to 48 gallons of water. Um, and our dishwashers today use... Um, three to four times less water than hand rinsing. And they're significantly more efficient um, than they were in the past. So there's a lot of great things that we've done without compromising performance for the consumer. And that's a really important point. And that's something we quite honestly refuse to do. So we want to make sure you're still getting those clean clothes and you're still getting those clean dishes, but we're, we're meeting or exceeding the regulations that are out there. And to give you know folks some perspective, the appliance industry has actually been fairly heavily regulated. And if, mm. if the automotive industry had been regulated at the same rate, a minivan would actually get 63 miles to the gallon and have nine seats instead of seven. So our washers are significantly bigger than they used to be, yet they use significantly less water and energy than they have in the past. So the appliance industry in general has made dramatic strides here, not only in our case, how we produce in the factories, as we talked about, but also the products and the impact on the environment. But that's that's a big space for us to explore as we go forward, because now with a focus on not only scope one and two, which is you know how we make the product, but scope three emissions and product in use in consumers' homes, we now have to think about how do we make sure consumers understand the most efficient way to operate their appliances? The energy grid plays a huge role in this, where you live, what your, your grid pricing is, what powers your grid are all very significant factors, especially as you look at a global company like us. So again, we've got to continue to make sure that we're ahead of the game and leading the way with our products, but never compromising product performance for the consumer. I would say there may not be any other head of sustainability and social impact that has an engineering and product management and global people management background. So um, do you have any recommendations for your colleagues who are not as fortunate as having won a baseball career so they, they could learn whatever they do, whatever they want to do, but also that, that very important engineering. So what would you suggest that they get smarter on so that they can have the integration 
of both the business, the product and society? It really comes down to just problem solving skills and critical thinking. And you get that through a lot of disciplines. So for me, engineering is, was a great place to start. And, and I think it served me well. It's my curiosity. It's my thirst for learning. Um, many of the roles I've taken, as I mentioned earlier, weren't on my radar. I got asked to consider it. I asked, what would I bring to the role? How could I add value? What would I learn? Um, and was always really, really engaged by the learning aspect of it. But also, given you know what Deb talked about and, and you touched on what we're able to do for our consumers, for the community, and, and how we're able to impact people's lives that way was really intriguing to me because I care so deeply and I had been involved in, in those initiatives uh, in the past as always part of my career here and, and one of the reasons I stayed with Whirlpool. But also it was the first time we were, you know, we were elevating the sustainability role, combining it with that corporate relations, communications, government relations role, historically putting it um, on our executive committee and reporting directly into the CEO. So it also spoke to the importance of sustainability and I could really see how my background could help pull those things together in a different way. Beautifully stated. And I, I love that you're just, you're such a go-getter, which again, I think starts with your parents and your baseball career. But, but I want to know, Deb, I want you to share with us, um, you don't just give money to Habitat. Um, that you truly have a deep relationship. I think it's 23 years with Habitat and it, um, it evolved recently. So can you give some, a little bit of background, but then some advice to our listeners? Because I always say that, you, you know, you don't have to walk away from a great partner, but you do need to evolve the relationship to make it work for both the business and society. Yes, I totally agree with everything you said. And we're super proud of our 23 years with Habitat for Humanity and, and hope that that will go many, many more. Uh, we still give a range and a refrigerator for every home that's built in the U.S. and Canada. And that's where we started 23 years ago. But as you mentioned, um, in the last year, we really had to take a look at the relationship and we wanted to have one global organization that we worked with. So in order to do that, we would have to expand that relationship and we needed to do more than a range and a refrigerator. So we expanded into global builds. Uh, we expanded into, we did three, supported three regional forums. And when I say support, you're right. We didn't just toss money at them. We had people speaking at them and we had people on the um, on the uh, planning committee. And really what the forums are is we bring the best minds in housing development together to spur innovation. And then we would be able to support some of those innovative solutions. So that was that was exciting because it was it was outside of the U.S. So we got a lot more um a lot more input from our employees in the other regions. And then also we um, we decided to support the uh, Habitat for Humanity Cost of Home Initiative, which is an, an advocacy campaign uh, where they're just tackling the inequities in, in housing in the United States right now. They're going to expand it. But um, and really that program, our contribution to that has helped 10 million people have access to affordable homes. So we know Habitat for Humanity is making great impact. 
But what was going on is we were just giving a range in a refrigerator and we said, we need more. We want to be involved. We want to collaborate. We don't just want to toss dollars over the, over the fence and see what you do with it, you know? <laughs> um, so we really got into, you know, we created authentic relationships. We very often in meetings will say, all right, we're family. Let's, Let's give the reality here. So, you know, if you're if you're thinking one thing, you got to say it and you just have really transparent conversations about what our goals were, what their goals are. And I don't think I've ever, you know, in all my nonprofit history, I don't think I've ever had a conversation like that where we lay everything on the table. And it's OK that if our goal is to sell more appliances, then we should say that, you know, and you'd be surprised that the nonprofit organization is going to understand that and help you find ways to, you know, get your your relationship out there. Um, the other thing that I would say is um, sharing the goals, but also sharing how are we going to measure this? Because it needs to be measured whenever we're going to do uh, in order to, you know, create that true impact. We have to measure what the impact is so that we can learn from that and go go further. And so I think um, the authentic relationship is really the core of it. Um, and and so I, I'm really proud of what we've done with Habitat for Humanity uh, that your, your group helped us do. And... Um, Looking forward to a, a great future and new programs as they roll out. There's two things I just want to bring up to to our listeners is that there there's a call like every single week that has um, Deb, her team, our team and the Habitat team. And we're constantly discussing and talking about the evolution, what's working, what's not working, looking at grids in terms of you know projects and progress. It's amazing. But also at least an annual planning meeting. Mm-hmm. And now that we go back face to face, so that really creates a relationship and the evolution. So part of the great evolution of your relationship with Habitat was build better with Whirlpool. And um, it's very current. I, I know that, that Pam will like it because it's got an engineering base to it. It's building more resilient housing, especially with what we're seeing in climate. But Deb, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it gives you, again, it's it's ownership for you. You branded it. And so it's ownership for you, but you're also learning to evolve as Whirlpool's always evolving its products and services to be more person and environmentally friendly. So just chat a little bit about Build Better. Sure. Um, So Habitat's program called Build Better with Whirlpool, uh, it's a three-year initiative and we're building 250 homes that are climate resilient and energy efficient. But the interesting thing about it is that it's a research project. They're going to um, put different instruments and tools inside the home so that they can measure the efficiency. And then we'll be able to share those learnings across the construction industry. So not only will it make habitat homes better in the long run, but this can be used across the industry to make more efficient homes. Um, A couple of things. Well, the the efficiency of the home is expected to be 15 percent more energy efficient compared to the local current codes. So. If, if we hit that 15%, imagine that 15% of the people who own Habitat homes, that's a lot of money for them to save and, and they can use that elsewhere. 
Um, as far as the climate resiliency, uh, we were really excited about that part um, back in, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but Hurricane Michael that hit Mexico Beach in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, we saw an image that had a neighborhood that was just pummeled from the hurricane and there were five houses standing and all five of those homes were build better homes and so when we saw that and saw what that could what that could bring and when you think about the hurricane that just happened it's devastating and and so we said yes please to this because it, the energy efficiency piece fits right in with our sustainability programming and then the climate resiliency is just important today and again, it's, you know, it's ownable, but it makes total sense. It's something you can talk about. It works with, with the, with the times. Um, that picture, we're going to put that picture in our show notes because it, a picture is worth, that's worth a million words. So Pam, I, I know that I want to go back to some of the way how you're embedding sustainability into the company. So can you talk a little bit about your circular strategies for feel good fridges? I want to feel good about my fridge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's one that, that we're proud of for a few different reasons. One, at first and foremost, is it speaks to, I think, the core values of Whirlpool and, and the great people that we have here. This is actually a program that, that's being done kind of above and beyond by some individuals in our sales organization. And they really saw the opportunity not only to help from a, um, a, a sustainability environmental impact but also to help people in the community. So it brings all of those true sustainability elements together really well. So the Feel Good Fridge program uh, is, is one that we've launched, taking refrigerators that were maybe slightly damaged or returned for some reason, fully inspecting and repairing them, and then putting them out maybe in a, in a Boys and Girls Club or in a school facility or some sort of public service facility to... Uh, you know, do obviously what a refrigerator does, hold hold food and, and store food, because we saw that was a great need out there in many of these communities. And it was an opportunity for us to save these products from going to a landfill, uh, one where they really could work very well in many applications. They just maybe had a little scratch or dent or something like that, um, but also to, to help from a community standpoint. So we've had a lot of success with that. And certainly Deb can can add on to this as well. Um, but this is, is one test, I would say. We're going to start doing it with washers and dryers as well. Though it obviously is part of a whole circularity strategy and, and the core elements of that. But the fact, you know, we've been able to deliver over 100 re, uh, feel-good fridges uh, in 2021, and we've continued that to to plan to deliver over 1,000 refrigerators here in 2022 uh, working with Feeding America agencies in Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, Los Angeles. I mean, we really see uh, a, a great opportunity here. And again, expanding it uh, to washers and dryers. That's something we've done with our Care Counts campaign for Whirlpool brand, putting them in schools. We know children who have clean clothes perform better in school. There's a lot of correlation there with self-worth and pride. And so we want to expand and make sure as many families as possible can have laundry in their households as well. And, and I love the creativity in, in both care accounts and in feel-good fridges. And, you know, and where did those ideas come from? Do they come from a brainstormer, an employee? Because great ideas can come from anywhere in an organization. So where did those come from? 
honestly, it's the greatest thing about Whirlpool because it comes from the people who are just working and say, you know, these guys are working to fix these refrigerators as they, you know, come in ding and dent. And then suddenly <laughs> they have this idea and they call and they say, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's keep going. And and just last week, they dropped 250 refrigerators in Houston for multiple organizations and churches. And, um, you know, Care Counts was another, it was a, a Whirlpool brand brainstorm. And, you know, when you started doing the research on what it could mean to kids with clean laundry, it was just so important. So that's the exciting thing about about my role and why I stay in it, as you asked earlier, is just the people I get to work with. Everybody is so passionate about improving life at home for everyone, not just the people who are in the stores buying the products. Which is wonderful. I, I want to talk about also taking this improving life at home truly to the, your home of Benton Harbor. And so that the DEI, um, every company is is uh, grappling with it. How do we handle it? Um, you know, do we have someone leading it? But then, how do you bring it home? And so, love to hear a bit about your equity pledge and the work that you're doing in Benton Harbor. And this is another one. If you look back, at, you know, through two CEOs ago uh, in the the late '80s through the mid '90s, our CEO at the time, Dave Whitman, was talking about diversity and inclusion and the importance of that in the community and in our workforce. So he was a, a bit ahead of his time, but it laid some really important groundwork. And like many companies, we've we've struggled to figure out how to get it exactly right. And we're far from perfect. But one thing we kicked off that that we've seen some success with here in the last couple of years uh, is our racial equality pledge work. And we, we started with 18 different work streams, nine of which were more community focused, nine um, of which we're more kind of internally focused on some different elements. And it's everything from mentorship programs with individuals in the community through the schools to internship programs for community kids, you know, freshmen, sophomore in college, where we had a gap in our, our programming to working directly with the schools to help fill some gaps uh, that, that they've had as well. So across the to improving, you know, public facilities, parks, et cetera. So, Across these work streams, uh, we've had some success and we, we've had some, some key learnings and some areas we've needed to step back. But these work streams are led by a vice president, again, above and beyond their, their job. And then they're supported by one of our, our employee resource group members. Uh, and then we have a team of volunteers and I had the fortune to lead the internship work stream and these volunteers were amazing. These were people from all different functions who just had this passion around setting up this program and getting it right. Uh, and it was a great way to, to see their capabilities and strengths um, and to really see this program come together. Uh, I think what's equally important is we learned we really needed to listen to the community and understand. Don't just show up and say, hey, here's what we're going to do for you. We needed to understand what those true needs were, engage our community partners and walk hand in hand on these efforts. I would say one of the things we're most proud of uh, out of this work is Whirlpool Corporation has invested over $20 million in a multifamily housing development here in the city of Benton Harbor. We saw the need for housing. Their developers were a little resistant. You know, we need it for our employees. We need it for what we call community heroes teachers, firefighters, policemen, et cetera. Like many communities, there's just a big need for affordable housing. 
So we built this 80-unit multifamily housing development. It's going to be open and available for folks to move in here in, in Q1 next year. It's tremendous. It's along the riverfront. It's, it's going to be quite a, a nice location. Um, so Whirlpool said, okay, we're going to build it. We're going to show the need for this community. These apartments are going to fill up quickly and then other develop. This will be a catalyst for developers to, to take over and see what the possibilities are. And it, it's turning out, uh, tremendously well. We have, uh, engaged with the city all along. Uh, this will help their tax base. They're very supportive of it. We are going to have, you know, a percentage of the units are available for Whirlpool employees because we have that need as we're hiring people in. But we are going to have a percentage of units that are are available for the teachers, the policemen, et cetera. We want to build a community within a community and have people really understand those that they, you know, that they live with and what their lives are like and what their challenges are uh, day in and day out. And we can really think there's some huge opportunities here as well. That is so smart because I, I know that some of our listeners, when you are the largest employer or one of the largest employers, that puts a huge responsibility on you. And you can either shirk it or you can lean into it. And you leaned into it really deeply. I know in your equality pledge, and you're very transparent about the journey because it wasn't a straight line to goodness. You had some challenges. Is is there a, any sort of a story that you can share about there was a bump in the road and how you dealt with the bump in the road? Yeah, the, the one that comes to mind is what we call our, our Union Park project. So in the first go around after the first year, the team really had tremendous ideas of how to revitalize this park that had been at the very heart of, of the city of Benton Harbor. And many people there, many adults there have memories of playing baseball there and, you know, playing sports. And that was a gathering area for picnics, et cetera. So. The team went in with their shovels and their rakes and their paint and, and really did a tremendous amount of work and it was beautiful. But we didn't engage the community in the right way. So we thought we knew what they wanted, but they weren't part of the process. And so there was quite a bit of vandalism and destruction once this was done. And it was so sad to see that we could have easily folded up our arms and said, all right, you know, want our help, we're out. And instead the team said, can we learn from this? How did we screw up? Right. They own the fact that it's probably something we did wrong rather than these folks just don't want our help. And the, the core team really did a tremendous job of going deep, learning what mistakes we made, how to partner. Last this past May, went back and redid a lot of that work and also added some things to this park effort. And it's just a totally different story. Now, people are enjoying that park in the same way. They're bringing those memories again. It's a safe place. We haven't seen the vandalism. So it was such an important lesson. And be there with this group, put your arms around and bring them along, instill that pride of ownership. Don't just come in, you know, as the big company for a day, we're going to shovel some things and move some dirt and you'll love it. Uh, So I think it was a really important learning. And we we've also seen, you know, some different um, aspects of the mentorship program. How do you really teach people to listen? Probably much more than to teach in these moments, right? Like, what is this population? What do these kids really need? Someone who believes in them. And that can listen to them. It's different than a, a, a professional mentoring relationship, for example. Listening, co-creation, some great lessons. Deb, I want to turn to another lesson that you can share with our listeners, which is that you have a newsroom. 
And so I was really uh, very intrigued by it. So can you talk a little bit about what's its configuration? What does it do to get your messages out into the world? Sure. Uh, We started probably eight years ago or so and realized we had a small group of people to work to get a lot of stories out there. So we uh, went over to Chicago and actually sat through a newsroom of a TV station in Chicago and brought our learnings back to Benton Harbor and created this newsroom. So we have people, everyone has a different expertise. There's storytelling, video, design, graphics, social media, etc. But everybody also minds for stories. So what we do is uh, talk to people in the in the company and find out what's going on and and try to tell stories that will um, enhance our reputation. So we know for us, um, the way we measure is through the reputation and our, we know our drivers are innovation, environmental um, sustainability, community and performance. So that, those are the stories that we look for. And then we also try to tell those stories through our people as much as possible. So we get together multiple times a week. We talk through what's going on, what makes the story, how that story should be told, which channels it goes through, etc. And then really in the long run, that is our way that we can share our commitment to our consumers, our community, and our environment. Again, that is so brilliant. And I love the fact that you went into a newsroom. You actually observed, which, it's you know, maybe you've got a little engineering in your background, too. (laughs) I wish. Well, I think it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's all over the company. One of the themes that we have had at Purpose 360 this year in Carol Cohen on Purpose is embedding purpose across the organization. It is not easy. And so, Pam, I know your background as an engineer is helpful. So what recommendations do you have to help them embed this and really make it strategic and real? Yeah, I, I think you got to look at the core of what it is your company is about. So we have this incredible privilege where with our products, we make people's lives better every day. And so we've got that to start with. We have this long history from our roots as well as the companies we've acquired around the world of helping communities and believing in communities. So for us to wrap that all together is quote unquote easy, but also sometimes we've forgotten. And so even when I led product organizations, led the laundry organization, et cetera, I kind of, I would consciously take a step back and say, you know, folks, what, what we're doing is really important. We're designing washers and not everyone loves to do laundry, let's be fair, or clean their dishes. <laughs> but they love the time they get back from that task being easier or taken out of their hands or you can wash three times as much laundry in one load as you used to be able to. So that time is now spent differently. And this is what you hear from consumers when we put product in their homes and you know we're doing field tests. So making sure that our engineers and our finance people and our procurement people understand like they're all part of that value chain and improving consumers' lives every day, I think is really, really important. And sometimes the day-to-day stress of everything, we kind of forget that. So it's really incumbent on leaders to make sure everyone understands the the role that they play in it. And you can find that through whatever company you're in. You know, a company is formed to do something for a, a reason, for a purpose. So determine what that purpose is and how you can motivate your employees to be part of that bigger picture. And that is so right. 
is that we hear so often that the, an employee is like they're doing widgets, they're doing something, they're a courier, they're this or that, they're, but they don't know how it fits into the whole. And that is a constant theme throughout this company. That no one had to tell you that even before ES and G and the integration, it was it was just how you did business, which is, you know, you're very fortunate that you had, you know, tremendous foresight um, in terms of uh, whether it's the career trajectory or how you're all bringing people to the table to truly see the impact and then it inspires them. To, to do more. So when the Rollins inspire, I know we can't say what, but we also know that you are thinking about some amazing innovations for the underdeveloped world. So without showing your hand, can you talk a little bit about why that's important to do? Yeah, I'll make a couple comments and then ask Deb to add in. This is something she and I have both been involved with for a really long time, actually, and we're excited to to be so close to something happening. But you know, obviously, we, we have a large U.S. base here, and, and that uh, is an important market for us, but we are global. And as you start to go global or, or travel around the world, as I've been fortunate too, you understand just how much less penetration you have in certain marketplaces. So when I started traveling to India, you know, electricity penetration was like 19%. Like, that's something we can't even fathom. So Yes, there's a huge population and we sell a lot of products there, but there's a huge underserved population as well. And there's people, many people still washing their clothes in a very manual way. So going back to my earlier comments, how do we make their lives easier? How do we give them the same sort of time back so they can spend it with their families in a different way? And so we have a focus on that as well. And and, and I'll turn it over to Deb. She's been deeply involved in this and, and let her add some comments as well. Yeah, I would just say that right now what we're working on is learning how those people do laundry, cook in their kitchen, et cetera. We need to learn a lot similar to what Pam talked about with our equality pledge. We can't just go in there and say, this is a great product for you. We need to go and, and sit with them and ask them questions and watch them use these products, et cetera. So it's taking us a little bit, um, a little while to get there. But once we get there, it's going to be amazing. And Carol will come back and talk about it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we wanted to tease our listeners. It's it's going to be pretty cool. Well, and one one thing to add to that on the learning aspect, which is so important for these primarily women who are playing this role in this home with this intense manual effort, it is so much a part of their day and their identity and what they consider their value add. So we need to deeply understand that, that we're not taking something away and help them understand how this can actually enrich their life. And so it's a very delicate process. And that that is why Deb's points around the learning aspect are so very important. Your humility, though, there is when you're opening up to learning and listening is a superpower for the company. So, again, a great thing to learn. A lot of our listeners work for companies that are humble. So if you use it in the right way, you can really learn a lot for product evolution, program evolution, stakeholder relations and such. This has been an amazing conversation. And so, Pam, I know that in our our, our pre-conversation, uh, you talked about the role of mentoring. And, and I think that, um, can you talk about that to both those who are younger and they want your job eventually or Deb's job? Um, and, and so, and also how you were mentored. They want Deb's job. 
that's awesome. But <laughs> but good luck doing it as well as Deb, because that's impossible. She's amazing. But yeah. uh, I have benefited a lot from from mentoring, uh, being mentored early in my career, and that instilled an obligation in me to also mentor um, going forward. I, I had some really helpful people help guide me in some of these decisions where I wasn't sure what this new role would entail or maybe lack the confidence to just go after it and feel like I could add sufficient value. They helped guide me there. They helped be able to go back and forth within the organization and and get these different roles and make sure I wasn't kind of pigeonholed, if you will, in in a certain spot. But as I've become a mentor uh, to various people in the organization, what I learned from that, I I value a lot. I I get as much out of the relationship as, as hopefully the mentee does and then there's even something that that we piloted here a couple of years ago with reverse mentoring. Uh, I started to realize I knew certain aspects of the next generation based on the age of my stepchildren. There's a lot of things I didn't know. And the pace of change is so rapid. And, you know, these younger kids, the really little kids and their ability to to, to manage the iPhones, the iPads of their parents, that sort of thing. All of that was really intriguing to me, but there's no way for for anybody to keep up with all of it at once and to learn every aspect. So I approached our CEO about piloting a reverse mentoring program where we actually had some of our younger talent mentor mentor senior executives. And it was also one of those really important lessons in, hey, you're the mentee. You're not the one giving advice. You need to listen and learn. And (laughs) and, yeah, and you need to prioritize this because if you start canceling these meetings, if this isn't a priority, you're sending a very difficult signal. So we put out some guidelines, had some suggested topics and, you know, once a month, maybe here are the sort of things you talk about. And for those who engaged in it, it was really, really helpful, both for this younger talent to gain some confidence that they indeed could teach and add value and should be speaking up more, um, getting exposure to that younger talent. But then also just, I got a wealth of learning that I wouldn't get otherwise. And I was able to explore topics kind of from a generational standpoint in those sessions that I, I would have had to spend hours reading about to try and get the same knowledge. Deb, do you want to add anything to that? You know what? I think I'm old enough that there was no such thing as the word mentor, but I realized looking back, I had a lot of mentors that got me to where I am. Certainly people who who paid attention to my career and somebody I could go to and ask questions, et cetera. Um, but I think being a mentor, I agree with Pam. When somebody wants me to mentor them, first I say, what is it that you want out of it? And then I say, okay, I will I will be your mentor, but I don't want to be called a mentor because I think we're going to get something out of, you know, both of us will get something out of it. So um, I try to learn as much as I as much as I can share uh, during mentorship. But I, I do think it's really important today for um, employees to find somebody that they connect with. And it doesn't have to be somebody in your area of expertise. And probably it's better if it, they're not. And um, it, and it's really important for people to, to do that so that they can move through an organization. And I guess that's how you end up being someplace for 18 years or 30 years. <laughs> there you go. So I, I hate to bring this to a close and, and we're going to have to get you back for part B when you have that new announcement. But in closing, we always like to give you the last word and it could be something related to one or two insights you want to leave for our listeners or just anything that we haven't covered. So Pam, we'll start with you. Yeah, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about our company. We're obviously um, humbly proud of what we do, you know, as a corporation, we're Whirlpool Corporation, but we house 
some amazing brands. We've referenced Maytag. We also have Jenny Air, KitchenAid, and Amana here in the U.S. So when you think about our company, and, and certainly if you're impressed with what you've heard today, uh, we look forward to having you try our products, and hopefully you'll be equally pleased with that. There you go. That's a great, very, very good. Um, Deb? Well, you know what? I will say that just in thinking about um, people working with non- uh, companies, working with nonprofits, you know, really think about those relationships. I know I'm reiterating what I've already said, but uh, those relationships are so important. And, you know, being able to get together face to face, you know, have a meal together, it makes a huge difference in creating relationships. And whenever we can do that, I know we're all sick of COVID and we're all sick of these video um, meetings. So wherever you can be in person, uh, try to do that because it makes a huge difference in the relationship in the long run. That's great. So now through this conversation, you've heard so many insights to why Whirlpool is living its vision of being the best kitchen and laundry company in the world, improving life at home. It's not just about the products and their functionality, but it's what they give to you and how they're made, where they're from, and their role in society. So I want to thank both of you for taking time from your really busy schedules. So thank you both. This has been great. And we look forward also to that wink, wink, that really big announcement, maybe next year or the year after, that's truly going to show the continued innovation of the company. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Ann Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cone on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us, because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.